It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you uh, had a great weekend. I was uh, lucky enough to meet a ton of people in Ponte Vedra, uh, that beautiful uh, stadium, the beautiful venue on Ponte Vedra on A1A, uh, the WOKV listeners. It was great. It was fine for the local superstar, Rich Jones, to come out. On Saturday over to Clearwater was fantastic. And then on Sunday, McLean, Virginia, was able to see so many people, so many listeners, so many viewers on Fox News, uh, all talking about the president and freedom fighter Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And we have a lot to discuss today. He was not in town when I was there, but he usually represents Jacksonville. Congressman Michael Walt to be with us shortly, fresh off his defense uh, meeting uh, at the Reagan Library and his uh, behind-closed-doors meeting with the Secretary of Defense. What he heard, what he said, uh, Mike Waltz will give us an update on what's happening there. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, this is a moment where uh, journalistic ethics are at play. Uh, and I know there were many CNN staffers very unhappy with the situation, very frustrated by Chris Cuomo. At the same time, Jim, I was hearing from some fans of Chris, uh, some viewers who said we understood he was looking out for his family. Really? How how magnanimous and honest and uh, uh, and non-biased Brian Stelter is once again. Two lefties in free fall. Not even a compliant press can help. They seem to have been in the most secure jobs in America, but their actions have actually primed them for a downfall. Chris Cuomo, formerly of CNN, and Vice President Harris. The scrutiny they brought upon themselves and how both their actions hurt their party and how Harris could be following Cuomo right out the door. Number two. How concerned are you that Russia this time is not bluffing, that in fact they will invade Ukraine? Well, we remain focused on this, uh, Brett. They've invaded before. As we look at the numbers of forces that are in the border region, it really uh, raises our concern. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, China and Russia, rivals slash enemy nations, enemy nations acting in concert to disrupt world order. What, if anything, should President Biden be doing about it? I have one word, one answer. Show toughness. The problem is his actions equal weakness and the entire Western world might have to pay the price. Number one. The end of the pandemic is a political decision, not an epidemiological decision. That's a basic fact. The end of the pandemic comes when we decide that the pandemic is done. Stop the panic. Stop counting cases. We have technologies to protect you if you are, uh, if you actually do get sick. That's exactly it. We've been saying all along, and I'm not a doctor. That was Jay Bacciara. He is extremely well-respected, and he was on The Next Revolution last night. Omicron. It's been out a week, and we still barely know you and still don't fear you despite the panic. What are we going to do? When are we going to decide to live and not run from COVID-19? Eradicate the mandate mania. Uh, And that's what we're looking at, too. There's so many different areas in which we should attack. First off, on the virus. Thanks to President Trump's warp speed and President Biden doing a good job getting it out, we now have a vaccine. It's up to you to take it. If you have natural immunity, we should count it. I've been over that. You've heard it. I've said it before. Now we're seeing a Delta variant. Most of the cases, I say 99% of the cases, Delta variant. We saw what happened in India. 
though the, for the most part, the vaccine worked. People overcame it. There were deaths. There were way too many. I get it. But there's been way too much panic and rearview mirror analysis. Here is Dr. Anthony Fauci again to uh, weighing in over the weekend, talking about this, talking about this variant. He says it's going to take a couple of weeks to find out. You know what the answer is? Why it's taking a couple of weeks to find out? Of all people, you know who's telling me this? Zeke Emanuel. It turns out I'm not the only one. You're not the only one wondering why we don't keep data on why you get so many breakthrough COVID-19 cases. And why do some people end up hospitalized anyway? Why don't we use and what has been the effectiveness of therapeutics? Why are they not made more readily available? Why isn't it as commonplace as, I don't know, thermoflu or Tamiflu or anything? So I thought Zeke Emanuel said it. You know, he's a left-wing zealot. He's always angry. He says, to the extent we're constantly relying on Israel, Britain, and South Africa. That is the definition of flying blind. He is the vice provost of the Global Initiative at the University of Pennsylvania. You know, he was the architect behind Obamacare. Rahm Emanuel is his brother. He's a doctor. He said the CDC has repeatedly come under fire for inadequate data collection. He said they've been under fire for months for its lackluster tracking of breakthrough infections. These are the questions that Anthony Fauci should answer, not what do you think I should go to do on Thanksgiving? Should I have it outdoors? Should I give my kid a shot? No. Focus on getting testing and results, and you hit people with facts and, you know, your favorite word, data. Admiral Brett Giroir, man, I wish he was still in charge. He's a doctor, understands the risks, there from day one, understand the supply chain issues, the manufacturing issues, and said this, cut seven. If we set our sights on going to zero COVID, we will never uh, satisfy that. I really don't believe we will. COVID will be endemic, meaning there will be strains that circulate. They will change, but we want to make that a minimal risk disease by vaccines, uh, by pre-existing immunity, by the oral drugs, we could dissociate the cases from hospitalization. So we're, I don't think we're going to go to zero. Don't be disappointed in that. If we can reduce this to a common cold where no one dies or very few people get hospitalized, that's going to be a success. Uh, we need to get along with our economy. We can't ruin our children. We can't throw people into depression and cause them to be more addicted and die of overdoses. We have to get on with our lives and live with this with all the tools we have right now. Why is the common cold down? Why is there almost no cases of the flu? Why is that down? Who's the most susceptible? What is the vitamins we should be taking to keep them at bay? Vitamin D, we keep hearing it. Vitamin B, we keep seeing it. These are the types of things. Get yourself in shape. you got to stop smoking. This is the thing. If you want to help people out, just say, listen, now more than ever, I think this, uh, the smoking could cost you your life. If you are overweight, use this as a way to be ready should it hit you. And it might like it most likely going to hit you. Start talking positively. Rick Klein. ABC political directors talked about number one, number two, between the vaccine, between the restrictions, between the battle plan for winter, between promising you're going to tackle the virus, between having double more deaths with a vaccine than Donald Trump had without a vaccine. Rick Klein on what's at stake and what people are saying when it comes to going to the ballot box, because there's a lot of people listening to me right now who think I'm crazy, that we should be shut down, that you should check vaccinations. You should not go to Christmas with any relative that isn't vaccinated. Cut nine. 
They're here to stay. And I think one takeaway out of this, even though the Democrats won this battle and they were able to keep the government open, is that they know that Republicans are going to continue to fight those vaccine mandates. They are united on that topic. In fact, they're going to get another vote in the coming days. That one is likely to pass because Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is likely to say he doesn't want to see the mandates imposed on the private sector. And the way that the politics around vaccines and around mandates have calcified and really set in, that is setting the tone for everything that President Biden hopes to do around the vaccine, around government government funding, around the Build Back Better initiative. This is the background noise. This is a serious political division that the president, I think, is starting to adjust around. But he, he really can't overcome that degree of skepticism and that fight that Republicans are going to put up just on that basic question about whether there should be a mandate. Let me just say this. Uh, president Biden says, you know, it's been very politicized. Yeah, you know, because people fight against Trump on everything and they this thing in particular. Believe me, if Trump won re-election... There's not one person in Hollywood that would have taken the vaccine. And they would and the only re, Donald Trump never would have mandated anything. Not a chance. Even though he wanted people to get the vaccine, there might be less people with the vaccine. He would have said, you gotta make your own decisions for you and your family. Get back to school. Get back to work. We can live with this. We got therapeutics, vaccine options. You decide what you should do. I know they're saying, well, if I don't get vaccinated and you get vaccinated, therefore I'm continuing to spread it for me. And if you get it and you're vaccinated, your symptoms will be mild. Unless, of course, they're telling us something different in real life. The other big thing I want to talk about, and there's like seven big threes today, but this is one of the big threes that we discussed, and that is what's happening with Kamala Harris and her career. You had four staffers quit, three more about to quit. Axios reporting many don't want to be labeled as a Harris person. What I think is most damning is it turns out she does not prepare. This according to multiple people that work for her. And when she falls on her face in interviews, she yells at other people like a tyrant. So if you are working for her, how long would you take that? You have pride. You're not making a million dollars a day. And it's not even going to help your career anymore because now people know if you were on Harris's staff, she was the worst prepared candidate ever. So now we see that the Washington Post, New York Times is starting to report this story. Headline today, a Kamala Harris staff exodus reignites questions about her leadership style. An anonymous former staffer says this to the Washington Post. It's clear that you're not working with somebody who is willing to do the prep and the work. To my immense credit, I said that from day one. She had a great opening speech as a candidate out in California, seemingly popular, minority candidate, a woman in the year of the woman, good moving speech. Even President Trump said, wow, that was a pretty good crowd, pretty good emotion, well delivered. The next day, she had no answer. Would you open up the border? Yes. Would you have get rid of private insurance? Yes. What? What are you talking about? What policy is that? Walking it back the next day, I said, I have a sense she's not preparing. And remember when Tulsi Gabbard took her apart at the debate? I go, why is she so vulnerable? How did she not know that? How did she not know that her track record as attorney general would come up about her views on crime? She could have played it being tough on crime at the same time understanding, you know, when people go into prison, perhaps they're getting too much time for crimes that we view differently now. But instead, she was shocked that people actually did some research. Turns out Tulsi Gabbard was the only one. An anonymous Democratic strategist with ties to President Biden said this. There are definitely some improvements that are widely acknowledged that need to be made in that office. And those improvements are acknowledged by the people in her office, and they are acknowledged by the people in the White House. So they would love for this to be an attack from Republicans. You don't like minorities, you're racist, and you don't like women, you're sexist. But 
the four people that quit, two of which are women, everybody is a minority, and the shots are coming from inside the tent in people that she hired because she can't run an office. She's a terrible manager. If you know your weaknesses, for example, me, math, science, putting anything together, hire someone that's good at that, that knows you well, knows what to keep you in the middle of, and knows what you shouldn't be a part of. But instead, she has people that really don't like her around her or thought she was better, and she's got no temperament, and she lacks confidence. She has lacks, not say self-esteem, but confidence. When you don't put in the work, how do you expect to handle the press? You don't sit down there without any lengthy, lengthy interviews. No one could follow you around for more than three minutes before they are abhorred by what's going on. You're supposed to handle voting registration and integrity. You're supposed to handle the border. How did that go? You're supposed to be talking about the roots of the problem. You went to Central America once. It was a disaster. That's when you did the Lester Holt interview. So you can't really say they're out to get me. You can't really say the press doesn't like females. You can't really say Republicans don't like minorities. Because it's minorities who are critical of you. Some don't have the courage to put their name on the critique. So, real quick on the other one that I put together. I don't know if this works. I think it does. Chris Cuomo lost his job over the weekend. I don't relish that. I don't take joy in that. But the arrogance that he displayed, uh, the what he did behind the scenes, uh, the way that he was able to walk on water at that company, even though he had the highest ratings, but we do better at Fox News at 6 in the morning. How is it? If a country's 40-40 with Democrats and Republicans, with independents and moderates in between, why is it that he can't get any ratings at all? But it didn't matter. Question is, what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to him in the long run? Because it turns out there are some sexual harassment accusers that are coming up. I think they're from the ABC years, as well as not telling the truth about how much he was actually doing for his brother and what, how he was losing his journalistic contacts to maybe get ahead of the story with 11-plus accusers while not recusing himself and not being honest about the level in which he was taking part. That's the problem. Letitia James, a Democrat, releases his transcripts, not opinions. Here's Brian Stelter, a CNN analyst and media guy. Cut 25. This may be a situation uh, where it was uh, death by a thousand cuts, where there were just so many headaches time and time again involving Chris Cuomo that even though you know, many viewers loved watching Cuomo, Cuomo primetime and looked forward to his show, he was causing so many headaches for the network and for CNN staffers uh, that ultimately this decision was reached. I do think you know this is a moment where uh, journalistic ethics are at play. Uh, and I know there were many CNN staffers very unhappy with the situation, very frustrated by Chris Cuomo. At the same time, Jim, I was hearing from some fans of Chris, uh, some viewers who said, We understood he was looking out for his family. This was always a very complicated situation, but I think the text messages and the documents this week showing that he was very deeply involved, very cozy with the governor's office, very improperly working with the aides, uh, that was ultimately why this decision was announced tonight. Well, that's uh, a tough situation, working with somebody. They probably like each other, and they have to report on this, no question. I don't take any glory in this. It just shows it's just another from Charlie Rose uh, to Matt Lauer to other people that have been with Fox News with situations that we did not have a front row seat on. And then you watch people lose their jobs, careers disappear. But the vice president looked as though with a 78 year old president, she was on the threshold of being the candidate. 
that's blown up. Chris Cuomo looked like he had a job for life and him and his brother kidding around. The biggest mistake CNN made is let them go on the air together and then say when he got embroiled in a scandal, it's not right for him to report on his brother. And then behind the scenes working for him while saying he's not. Together, another career blown up. Nobody is impervious. That's the one thing we should understand. But I sense there's another chapter to this, and I'll bring that up when we come back. Uh, Congressman Michael Walsh at the bottom of the hour. What did he discover in talking to Lloyd Austin in front and behind the scenes? What was it like at the defense, uh, the defense uh, summit over the weekend? And the, the challenges we have with China, the challenges we have with Russia, the challenges we have with Iran. I'm so glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fauci did the exact same thing with AIDS. He he overhyped it. He created all kinds of fear, saying it could affect the entire population when it couldn't. And he's doing he's using the exact same play playbook for COVID. How do you respond to something as preposterous as that? Overhyping AIDS. It's killed over 750,000 Americans and 36 million people worldwide. How do you overhype that? Overhyping COVID? It's Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. But he killed 780,000 Americans and over 5 million people worldwide. So I don't have any clue of what he's talking about.
Uh, that was uh, Senator Ron Johnson on our show and Anthony Fauci answering Jake Tapper, who rolled that into his show. So here's w- what he should really know. And I know he can't roll in the whole interview, but he was talking about the overhyped. Every time there's a variant, he hops on and talks about restrictions. We can't have Halloween. We can't have Thanksgiving. He never gets the he never goes with the science and data behind it. The guy talks lifestyle, never actually critiques the FDA, CDC, now takes credit for the vaccine. Amazing to me, which he said was not going to happen for two years. Don't wear a mask. This is not going to be a problem. That's all part of his track record. Now, this Omicron, under his tutelage, according to Joe Biden, he's the real president. He shut down travel from nine different countries after he criticized President Trump for shutting down travel from China. Right. He's been wrong on just about everything. And now he's hyping this variant, which has no proof of anything but mild, mild, mild symptoms. That's what he's talking about. While not looking at therapeutics. And even being open to not knowing something. You criticize him, you criticize science. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Do you have any regrets about the Afghan withdrawal? Brett, I regret the fact that uh, we lost 13 of our finest at Abbey Gate. I regret that we lost 10 civilians in an errant strike. Having said that, Brett, I want to make sure that we don't, we don't lose sight of the fact that our American forces in 17 days evacuated 124,000 people. We I can't even hear the rest of that. Uh, it is so sickening to hear the Secretary of Defense focus on people they threw into planes, many planes empty, just to get them out of a country that we were winning every battle we were engaged in. We left like... Uh, without any dignity, without any class, without any forethought because of one president's decision to ignore all military options except for his political promise to get out of Afghanistan at a date certain, which he knew, according to video that we have, even as long as five years ago, there would be a disaster. Congressman Michael Walsh joins us now, House Armed Services Committee. He was at the very event in which Secretary of Defense Austin made those comments at the Reagan Library. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. And, yeah, I was at that speech, and I was standing next to um, somebody who was a real leader in these grassroots veterans groups that have been doing such heroic work to do what DOD, the Defense Department and State Department failed to do. And he was so disgusted he walked out. Uh, and it was all I could do uh, to to not walk out as well, and and to see him go right back to the political talking point of uh, you know a, a historic airlift when we now know also that they got the wrong people out. And you know, Brian, I just got a I just got a text this morning uh, from one of my interpreters that I got out. The Taliban are going after his brother uh, brothers. Uh, came to his house last night. The brothers weren't there, so they took his nephews. Uh, these brutal thugs uh, aren't going to quit until they hunt every one of our allies down. 
And I got to tell you, man, I am never, ever, as long as I am in the seat, going to forgive Biden for this. And I will never let it go. And neither will the entire veterans community. But I mean, how could a uh, sometimes you get political appointees in those positions and they don't really have a sense of or a feel for the military. You know, they might have be very, very organized people, good CEO types. That's not the case right. with General Austin. So this guy brought up in the military. Uh, he had a, a, a very respectable career. You know, I took General Petraeus, told me he, he does a great job. He was as good as anybody in the field, even though didn't he preside over uh, our troop pullout of Afghanistan, excuse me, of Iraq. Um, and we just left and we had to go back in there. And he did not step up then either. So what is your reaction to this? He can't believe what he's saying, can he? Well, I think that's why you had such a long pause there. And I think he's really conflicted with what he knows. He must know to be true that this was an absolute disaster and debacle, um, because if he doesn't have any regrets and he doesn't have a heart. Uh, and and what what has me so upset, as you and I have talked about, is the conditions are building. The Taliban caliphate is growing. ISIS and al Qaeda fully intend to hit us again. And the intelligence says they're going to be able to within six months. So what about the future Gold Star families, the future soldiers that are going to have to go back to clean up this mess? But to your point on an experience, I got to be honest with you, uh, he presided over the withdrawal from Iraq. We had the ISIS caliphate exploding years later. There was actually a scandal on his watch with intelligence analysts at his command ringing the alarm bells, and the intelligence was was suppressed. And, um, and by the way, can I just, can I just qualify that? For, for political reasons. Right. Yeah. Uh, evidently, uh, the people saying, you might think this is different. I'm very curious to see what you think about this. Barack Obama was told that the, the, the terror presence was minimal. When he made those comments, oh, they just have the JV team. You, if you give somebody yep. a Laker jersey, it doesn't mean they're Kobe Bryant. And next thing you know, you have ISIS. And they almost took Baghdad if we didn't step in there rapidly. So something went on very bad there. Well, I put that, I mean, Brian, I'll put that right at the feet of Susan Rice, uh, who was the national security advisor at the time. And it was understood uh, kind of throughout the intelligence and Defense Department communities that news like uh, the withdrawal from Iraq was a bad call and news like we had a, you know, a, a terrorist caliphate on the cusp of forming wasn't welcome in the White House. Uh, and that is that is damn near a criminal disservice. Uh, to all of the American soldiers that had to go back and clean up that mess, and by the way, are still there in Syria and Iraq today. And I think we're we're going down that same road now uh, in Afghanistan. And oh, by the way, who's still lurking around the White House? Susan Rice and John Kerry. Who, yeah, people, he was saying to me, I'm on the road with the book, and they say to me, who's running the White House? It's the people <laughs> you hear very little from. It's Susan Rice. It's Ron Klain. We don't know what Barack Obama's doing or Valerie Jarrett and the others. You know, so it's amazing how many times the president just seemed totally lost about issues and policies that evidently he implemented. Uh, but Congressman, if whatever you're comfortable with telling me, I know you had a chance to talk to high-ranking officials off camera, off mic. What did you garner from this administration about the danger we're facing with China, Russia, and Iran? Well, you know, I'm, I'm engaging uh, European, Ukrainian, and other officials as well. And, and, and Brian, you know, when we leave uh, the shores of the United States, we're all, we all should be on Team USA. So I certainly offer to convey messages and to provide my feedback uh, if we take some trips in the near future. But also I wanted to convey, you know, just <laughs> we're standing in the late Reagan Library. 
I, I think one of the greatest presidents in American history who was very clear about American red lines, was very clear that the Soviet Union was uh, – was, you know, what he, what he did was he took us from competing with the Soviets to saying they were evil and must need to be defeated. Uh, we need to do the same with China, but we also right now need to be very clear with Russia uh, and, and uh, about Ukraine and about their aggression. Uh, just very quickly, like why does that matter to say a, a family in Daytona who's just trying to get their kids to school? You know, we, we could be in the same position we were in the 1930s. This could potentially be the biggest land invasion in Europe since World War II. And as Ukraine goes, then Poland could go, then uh, the Baltics, Lithuania, Estonia, and then NATO will fracture. Uh, so we have to make a stand now. We need to be strong and bold now, and we have to be very clear to Putin that there won't just be some sanctions we'll throw at him. There will be military costs as well with support. I'm not talking 100,000 U.S. boots on the ground, but very serious support we can provide to the Ukrainians. What we can't do is what Obama did and throw blankets and MREs at the problem, and that invites aggression. And it's no surprise that you're seeing this aggression from Russia in the wake of Afghanistan and after the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was in place where now they can choke off gas. Uh, well, uh, I hear we can Europe. still stop it. I hear we can still stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and that Congress can maybe uh, trump the president. Well, that's what the Senate right now is, is Republicans and the Senate are demanding uh, is to get sanctions through. And, that, and that's why you're seeing a lot of wrestling with the debt ceiling. Uh, and with the continuing resolution is we want – and the defense bill, we want provisions in there that will stop Nord Stream 2 because when Putin fully has that uh, in, in place, it's checkmate on Europe. Uh, and if you can't get Europe on board, then sanctions won't work because all they'll do is shift from dollars to euros. Why uh, Germany? And Russia will be yeah. off, the, off to the races. Why Germany would sign off on this Nord Stream 2 deal, be the hub, and let them bypass the Ukraine – is just yep. unbelievable. While we have to watch their back and worry about the Soviet Union, now Russia invading their turf. Here's Chris yep. Murphy yesterday. I wonder if you could answer this, even though it's the Senate side. He had this accusation, cut 16. Republicans right now in the Senate are blocking that amendment from being considered. In addition, Republicans are blocking our ambassadors from being confirmed, in particular to the EU, where a lot of this work will be done to try to bring our allies together. They say Republicans are blocking sending lethal aid to Ukraine. Are you? No, absolutely not. That, that's ridiculous. And by the way, Schumer could have brought the defense bill up when we passed it out of the House back in, uh, back in August. But the Build Back Better and the socialist you know, domestic plan has just sucked the oxygen out of the room. Uh, and that's why so many things uh, uh, have have been delayed. But that's uh, that, that. Look, that's just not true, Brian. Uh, here is uh, a few de of Democrats just seem somewhat. It seems almost gratifying to see that they understand what's at stake. Here's uh, Congressman Jim Himes of Connecticut, Democrat, cut 12. Putin has now put enough assets on the borders of Ukraine um, to, if he wanted to fairly quickly, do an invasion. And, uh, uh, you know, the stakes are very high here, right? I happen to believe that he did not suffer sufficient consequences uh, subsequent to his invasion of Crimea. Uh, and, you know, now is the moment for him to understand, and perhaps in the conversation with President uh, Biden, for him to understand that if he, you know, pulls this 19th century stuff of invading a neighboring country, 
the world will stand against them in a way that will make the situation very painful, maybe untenable. And of course, Mike, the stakes are high because of Taiwan. Right. You got to believe the Chinese are watching what's going to happen. And, and again, I'd never imagine we'd be back in a world where we needed to reassert what we thought was true, you know, 75 years ago. You don't get to invade neighbors. So, it, I mean, is, yeah, is that what you're hearing? Uh, some Democrats are sounding a little like you? There's a, there's a few moderate Democrats, mainly the ones on the Armed Services Committee. But remember, half of the Democrats in in Congress are in the Progressive Caucus, and we're not hearing a, a, a darn thing about them except from AOC saying smash and grabs aren't happening, right? Um, but I would say to uh, I would say to Representative Hines two things. One, you know, he's right. There were no consequences under Obama and Biden. The last time Russia invaded the Ukraine, there was nothing, uh, and they did it two months after the Olympics in Sochi. That's why, you know, transfer that over to China and Taiwan. That's why I've called for a uh, a, a boycott, a full boycott, not this symbolic thing, the um, diplomatic boycott that Biden's about to announce, but a full boycott of the Olympics because dictators love that international propaganda platform. The entire world is turning a blind eye to all of their abuses. And I really fear for Taiwan uh, after the Beijing Olympics uh, in February. And then number two, where was Jim Himes standing up, demanding sanctions on Nord Stream 2 and denouncing Biden for lifting those sanctions? Because we're not going to see a unified response as long as Putin can control the gas heading into Western Europe in the middle of winter. A couple of things. Let's switch to China real quick. Uh, it looks as though uh, Austin said the operation around Taiwan looked like a dress rehearsal with all those overflights. Cut 29. That's what Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wants. He wants a vote on that before Christmas. I'm sorry, 19. Well, Senator Kirsten Sinema. President Biden has been very clear about his concerns over China's human rights abuses and its bullying of other countries. And Beijing is misusing technology to advance its repressive agenda at home and exporting the tools of autocracy abroad. Now, I've repeatedly described China as the pacing challenge for the Department of Defense, but I chose the word challenge carefully. We seek neither confrontation nor conflict. And that's it. Meanwhile, China made a statement about these democracy summit that the president's putting together, and I'm fully for that. He said uh, he's up there upset about it because most of those so-called democracies are in his region. He goes, how a polarized country, meeting us, that botched the response to COVID-19, which, by the way, they caused, could lecture others and said the efforts to force others to copy the Western democratic model are doomed to fail. So they're angry about these upcoming democracy summit. Yeah, but, and that, this is what, you know, I keep ringing the alarm bells for, for the American people, uh, I, I, you know. The Secretary of Defense and Biden can mince their words of challenger versus adversary versus enemy. But Z, President Z of China, is very clear. He is telling his country to prepare for war, and he is telling his country that he, they will replace the United States as a global leader. And they hope to do so by watching us bankrupt ourselves uh, so that we cannot compete militarily and that we cannot win uh, militarily. That's what's at stake, Brian. Uh, and, you know, they just recently bought up the ports on the Panama Canal. They're now opening a base uh, in Africa on the Atlantic side, which means their ships can strike the United States within minutes. Uh, this is this is incredibly serious. And uh, again, we need that Reagan-like pivot that this is the Chinese Communist Party, not the amazing people and culture, but their government 
uh, is evil, is planning to uh, become an empire, and is planning to replace the United States uh, and must, must be stopped, uh, not competed with. Yeah, I could talk to you for two hours and still not cover all the ground. Uh, Congressman Mike Walsh, doing the best to, <laughs> right, to plug up all these holes. From uh, We didn't even talk about Iran, but I'll have you back. Uh, doing some great work out there on the West Coast, and now he's back. Uh, Congressman Michael Walsh, thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Brian. Meanwhile, there's a lot at stake in tomorrow's virtual summit. Will the president bring up any real issues and be tough with Vladimir Putin? You're listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be back to take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Just as someone, as a woman who worked there for over a decade, who has the utmost respect for my former colleagues, I just wanted to share something with you today. I would like to see CNN put a woman in that 9 p.m. spot. Not me, I've moved on. But there are plenty of brilliant women they could choose from. The way we truly change the game for us is to put more women, brown, black, white women, in positions of power. And yes, of course, we need more seats at the table, but we also need to build a better, more inclusive table. And CNN primetime has been dominated by male hosts. and. Y'all, it's nearly 2022. Wouldn't you like to see a woman successfully lead in primetime? Just get somebody good. I mean, I don't think Laura Ingram got picked because she's a woman. Uh, Maria Bartiromo uh, doesn't get picked to do the morning show because she's a woman. I, I think you look at Fox. I mean, you do. You look at women that are on. Uh, Dana Prino doesn't get picked to do the five because she's a woman. I, I just think that you, Shannon Breen doesn't get it to get to 12 because she's a woman. She's the best person for the job. I mean, people are aware if there's if there's too much of one gender. What I get it. People want to make sure we round out and we're representative of the country. But the best people go in prime time. If, for example, I'm thinking that if they want somebody that's clearly left wing, if you read this, her book is is and if you watch her work, Katie Cork. Put Katie Couric there. See how she does. I mean, I think she's going to fail again, just like she fails at everything except for the Today Show, which was established before her. She was able to take over someone extremely uh, that was uh, that was given a bad uh, bad hand, and she was able to take over and do a good job. But she is unable to replicate any of that. But she might be the biggest name out there. But why pick a woman? Just pick somebody good. I mean, Chris Cuomo had a point nine. We were getting better marks than that at nine in the morning. This is why I think this story's not over. Chris Cuomo denied yesterday that he lied to the network. Chief Jeff Zucker says he knew all the details of his support for his brother. Cuomo wrote this to the Wall Street Journal. Cuomo had the highest level of admiration and respect for Zucker. They were widely known to be extremely close in a regular contact. Cuomo's support for his brother, there was no secrets about it. Cuomo said that he had people who could corroborate that his assertions that Zucker knew all along what the star anchor was doing for his brother and Zucker didn't care. The furious statement sets the stage for a showdown because guess what? Cuomo might have things on Zucker about things that he avoided, didn't talk about, that knew or green-lighted. So it's basically a brushback pitch. Game on. Between the two former friends, uh, between two guys with massive egos, and they're blowing themselves up. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Special thanks to everyone who came out in Ponte Vedra, everyone who came out in Clearwater and McLean, Virginia over the weekend as I signed copies of the President and Freedom Fighter and the first two shows. First one was actually broadcast on Fox Nation, which you're watching me on right now. I was talking about all the books, a great patriotic morning, I would say evening. Uh, we had a chance to go down there and uh, the beautiful WOKV listeners, most of them uh, listened to the show, were able to come out and see a lot of the officials. And Rich Jones helped me out, too, the outstanding uh, local personality uh, who really dominates in that region. And that morning, same schedule as me, was able to stay up late. So we paid him a uh, time and a half. Uh, Michael Goodwin is standing by with the New York Post. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann with me is going to be with me at the bottom of the hour. Not only is it great to talk to him, we fought our wars over the last 20 years, but he's now trying to get our people out of Afghanistan, where the administration, the State Department, are doing anything but help. In fact, they're hurting. And then you're going to hear from Secretary of Defense Austin. What he didn't say is sickening at his defense forum over the weekend. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, this is a moment where uh, journalistic ethics are at play. uh, And I know there were many CNN staffers very unhappy with the situation, very frustrated by Chris Cuomo. At the same time, Jim, I was hearing from some fans of Chris, uh, some viewers who said, we understood he was looking out for his family. Really? Two lefties in free fall. Not even a compliant press can help them. They seem to have been in the most secure jobs possible, but their actions have actually primed them for a downfall. Chris Cuomo, formerly of CNN, and Vice President Harris. The scrutiny they brought upon themselves and how both their actions hurt their party and how Harris could be following Cuomo right out the door. Number two. How concerned are you that Russia this time is not bluffing? That in fact they will invade Ukraine. Well, we remain focused on this, uh, Brett. They've invaded before. As we look at the numbers of forces that are in the border region, it really uh, raises our concern. Yeah, you think so? Secretary of Defense Austin, China and Russia, rivals slash enemy nations acting in concert to disrupt world around us. What, if anything, should President Biden be doing about it? I have one word. Toughness. Show it. The problem is his actions equal weakness, and the entire Western world might have to pay the price. Number one. The end of the pandemic is a political decision, not an epidemiological decision. That's a basic fact. The end of the pandemic comes when we decide that the pandemic is done. Stop the panic. Stop counting cases. We have technologies to protect you if you are, uh, if you actually do get sick. Uh, Dr. J. Bachachara, Omicron. It's been a week and we still barely know anything about it. And we should not fear it because the symptoms are so minor. When are we going to decide to live with and not run from COVID-19 and eradicate the mandate mania forever? Uh, Let's bring in Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, your thoughts on on Omicron? Well, Brian, good morning. Um, Look, I I think somebody said the other day that uh, that there will possibly be an endless number of variants uh, from the COVID uh, virus. And and that that seems to be what we're seeing now, that that 
every you know it was delta there was one before delta and these things just keep mutating and some of the variants may be quite lethal and others less so uh but i think that one of the things that uh, and i think the media has ingrained this in us i think that uh, the fauci's of the world have ingrained us is that our first reaction must always be fear and therefore we are more liable to listen mm-hmm. and follow the commands of of washington uh, government and bureaucrats and politicians and i think that if that's the case and it seems to be that then i would argue not as a scientist but just as somebody uh watching american society we're on the wrong track if we're always going to react with this panic and fear and willingness to submit to even the most ridiculous arguments. I mean, I don't mean to underplay the seriousness. If you get this disease and you are compromised in any way, uh, I mean, it is a it is a hellish ride, I'm told. I've not I fortunately I've not had it, but I but people who have just say it, it's quite unlike anything they've ever experienced. So, we have to be careful, but do we have to live in panic and fear? And that is where I think the government has taken us. And I think it's a mistake. And we're not the only country. We have to say, when you look at Australia, look at New Zealand, you look at Germany, now they're going to go clamped out again. Austria, 8,000 in the street over the weekend uh, complaining. But what they're doing now is I'm watching Martha Raddatz over the weekend on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, and she goes to Moderna Lab, where Moderna is working on a, on a vaccine for this variant. Really? For a runny nose and a 99 fever, I'm getting a vaccine and I'm supposed to get a booster. But we don't even know if the booster is going to be effective against this vaccine. But we're just going to keep lining up and keep taking shots. Meanwhile, Mayor de Blasio, why this guy is still taking action when he should be just staying quiet and leaving? Listen to what he's doing now. Cut five. As of today, we're going to announce a first-in-the-nation measure. Our health commissioner will announce a vaccine mandate for private sector employers across the board. All private sector employers in New York City will be covered by this vaccine mandate as of December 27th. We're gonna have some other measures as well to really focus on maximizing vaccination quickly so we can get ahead of Omicron and all the other challenges we're facing right now with COVID. Right, Uh, and of course you're fired if you don't get it. That'll help. I mean, that can't stand up in court. The OSHA situation, Got blown up so far to stay in court. Looks like it's going to be blown up. Is this going to work? Well, I think the key there, Brian, was first in the nation. That's what he said. And that's what politicians always say when they're looking for something beyond the immediate uh, idea they're proposing. Bill de Blasio is term limited, thank God. He is leaving office at December 31st. And he's looking for a new job, and he's preparing to run for governor, as preposterous as that seems. And so you have seen a flurry of activity. He has sort of sat by the pool drinking uh, whatever whatever uh, he wants to drink for the last eight years, but now suddenly on the way out the door, he's become an activist. He's become a person in charge, first in the nation, word leading. This is what Andrew Cuomo used to always say, New York, first in the nation. We can't wait first in the nation kind of stuff it's all baloney and and i agree with you i think this will not be upheld in the courts uh for the same way that joe biden's federal mandate was not upheld in the courts there's no basis under law 
that I'm aware of uh, that where you can just dictate this because you're mayor for the next 20 days. Uh, but but this is the kind of nonsense exactly the, that we were talking about before. This is a this is a measure of fear. New York City has not had uh, a great uh, influx of new infections of COVID of any variety. Uh, and so whatever had, the status quo has largely been working. Oh, let's up it. Let's let's raise the fear meter. Let's do something dramatic to get our name in the newspapers and on television. Right. That's I'm afraid that's all this is. And the governor of New York, too, uh, said, let's go. Uh, let's cancel elective surgeries. Are you crazy because of so, three cases in South Africa? Nuts. So you wrote a column this weekend about the Democratic policies. They're all falling apart. Unless you're running on the pro-smash-and-grab platform, unless you're running on the I-got-these-great-socialist programs to finance, can't even get their party to sign off on it, blow up the filibuster, let's go pack the court, let's deny that these smash-and-grab things are happening like AOC, there is a, there's an agenda that's in tatters, correct? Well, Brian, if you if you look at, I mean, those are certainly some of the things. Uh, the whole climate agenda, build back better, all of that stuff. Uh, the Democrats are on defense, and when you're on defense politically, it means that there are holes in your game, and the other side is exploiting it. The public doesn't like it, and so w- when you look at President Biden's poll numbers, you look at the disaster that is Kamala Harris. You look at the elections in Virginia and elsewhere, uh, and you look at all the polls about what's going to happen in the midterms uh, and the disapproval of these policies across the board, and not just from Republicans, but largely from independents. And so the Democrats are playing defense. They have played to their base for the last year. They've, you know, Joe Biden took office promising to unite the country, but instead he gave Bernie Sanders chairman of the Senate Budget Committee. Imagine that. Bernie Sanders, who's not even nominally a Democrat, he's a socialist, independent, is in charge of the Budget Committee. And so you get this ridiculous stuff. I mean, AOC seems to be running the, uh, the House. Uh, and you have all of these weird, radical people with outsized power within the party, and Joe Biden sort of sleeping through this disaster. Uh, and I think when you look at, uh, at the impact of this a year into the presidency, you'd have to say it's not working. It's not working anywhere. Uh, it's not working on any issue. There's not a single issue where Biden polls in the positive. It, even the coronavirus right. is negative. The border, of course, Afghanistan, the economy, inflation, the crime issues, all of these things, he's underwater. So as a party, the Democrats have really screwed it up. They've taken their power. They've taken what a narrow mandate they had, and they went too far. You know, the other thing is he's still making up stories about him being yeah. arrested, trying to go to uh, uh, trying to go see Nelson Mandela. We know about his war story, which was, makes no sense about piddling a metal on somebody that never happened. Now he's got this other story that you write about where he says he was over in Israel with uh, the prime minister, Golda Meir. Uh, and he talked about uh, the, you know, what it was like then and how he feels like he's been around forever. The problem is you wrote two problems. Biden was in law school in 1967 and my didn't become prime minister until 1969. So his stories never add up and he backs them up by repeating them again. 
Yes. How many times has he told the one about the Amtrak conductor, right, uh, which, which wasn't possible because of the dates he talks about? So, but he just moves on. And apparently, I mean, you would, at, at some point you would think the White House would say, stick to the script, which I'm sure they do. But then when he wanders off and tells these stories, but their, their great benefit, of course, is that most of the media just chuckles and moves on. I mean, these are serious issues. The president of the United States repeatedly tells stories that are not true, not jokes, not, not uh, ideas, stories. He gives names, dates, uh, places that we can show are not true, and we just move on as though this is normal. And the thing is, just real quick, on Kamala Harris, I mean, her own staff is turning on her. You have anonymous yeah. sources say she does not prepare and then gets mad at them, blisters them when she falls on her face. You have four people quit, three more about to quit, and the actual story saying they're afraid of being labeled a Harris person. Most of these people quitting are minorities, and you can't say any Republicans are causing it. It's all Democrats. How much would they love to say you're going after her because she's a woman and a minority, and instead you have to look at your own side and your own staff? Yeah, and and look, it it forces the White House to lie for her. It forces the White House to cover for her, right? Jen Psaki has to say this is all natural, people leaving. But I think what what is significant now, Brian, is the Washington Post piece uh, where you have former staffers on the record by name. Uh, This this guy, uh, Gil Duran, for example, said Harris's, quote, destructive patterns were behind the turmoil and the exit of of all of the people around her. Uh, I mean, is it the, she is the common denominator, he said. I mean, that's a remarkable thing uh, for them to go on the record now. These are not leaks anymore. This is somebody saying this is what's happening with the vice president. And again, this is, this is Joe Biden's pick. This is the person he ran with. This is the person who said she should be on standby. He gave her the presidential powers while he went for his colonoscopy. I mean, this is from bad to worse. It's, it's amazing what's happening, and it's amazing that you have a great opportunity with a 78-year-old president to really emerge. Vice president doesn't have a lot of pressure. She's blowing everything. I picked out that she was lazy. No, I don't, I, when people say dumb, that's a ridiculous statement. You know, you, at this point, it's up to you to study and learn this stuff. I'm not asking you to be a nuclear engineer. But when she would not study on the border, would not study about health insurance, would not talk about a strategy for states, I'm saying, why is she even running? I mean, this is just lazy. You can't deal. You cannot be successful in anything, let alone as president, if you are lazy. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, his latest column, Incredible Shrinking Dems, as the left's policies crumble, prepare for major political change. Yes, I hear you. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll take your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Ukraine can become the next Afghanistan for Russia if it chooses to move further. And it's up to us in the Congress to make clear that we are going to be 
diplomatic, political, and military partners with Ukraine, that we are going to provide them with increased military assistance so that they can defend themselves. And I hope that we take steps in Congress in the next week to make that clear. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, That's what President Obama didn't do. That's what President Trump did do. And they do have a leader now in the Ukraine as somebody that understands the threat that Russia is. Do you know what they were doing the other day? Uh, the, The president of the Ukraine came out and said it looks like Russia is trying to put their own candidate in there and trying to overturn, create a scandal and overturn their government. At the same time, amassing what some say are 100,000 troops outside their border. And this is how desperate it is. The uh, commander, the, the, uh, the supreme commander of NATO has already met with his Russian counterpart, with a Russian leader. Then you had our secretary of state meet with Lavrov, the longtime secretary, foreign secretary. And now you have President Biden having a virtual summit with Vladimir Putin. Now what Vladimir Putin wants is a guarantee that, that NATO will not expand further east. But that means that Ukraine won't become a member. That is one of their aspirations, to become a member. I think essentially they're associate members of NATO. Now, the thing is, you attack a NATO ally, we are by treaty obligated to attack back. So this is what Russia sees. They see weakness. When you say, okay, Nord Stream 2, you can complete it, you would think that's a a gesture, a goodwill gesture that they'd appreciate. They don't. Remember, one of the first things Barack Obama did— was his secretary of state said, let's reset relations and let's pull out the missile defense program out of Western Europe without even telling him Barack Obama makes that decision. Do you know what uh, Russia thinks? Weakness. They don't think, wow, this is a country that wants to get along because we're putting our values on these communist countries. And when we do that, it never works. If we're dealing with Germany or France, maybe that'll work, although we alienated France for a while, too. When we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, this guy fights wars for a living, former Navy SEAL. He is putting together a group that's the Task Force Pineapple that is getting our men and women out of Afghanistan because the assassinations are picking up. And, by the way, in Afghanistan, mass starvation is taking place. I cannot tell you how the ramifications and ripple effect of the irresponsibility of the way we left Afghanistan— and there's not one person I talk to that sees any redeeming quality in anything we do. What bothers me most is when they try to talk about the evacuation. That's like focusing on 9-11 and saying we did a great job on the cleanup. Nothing to do with why did the attack happen. That's the key. How were they able to pull it off? That's what I want to find out. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann next. The Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you have any regrets about the Afghan withdrawal? Brett, I regret the fact that uh, we lost 13 of our finest at Abbey Gate. I regret that we lost 10 civilians in an errant strike. Having said that, Brett, I want to make sure that we we don't lose sight of the fact that our American forces in 17 days evacuated 124,000 people, we need to continue to remind the United States of America and we need to continue to remind the world 
about the great work that, that they, they have done and that they continue to do on a daily basis. Did you hear that pause? That's by an Army general, became Secretary of Defense. He has to be embarrassed about what happened. He presided over a Defense Department that put together the worst military maneuver in maybe American history that we're still paying the price for today. And that is basically fact. Yeah, it's my opinion, but please tell me anybody that would counter it. And who I doubt that number. And number two is you weren't screening anybody. There were planes leaving empty. When Joe Biden heard about it, they were throwing anyone on those planes. He said, put anybody on those planes. They were putting shopkeepers, hair cutters, people they had no idea who was there and dumping it in a third country, many the UAE or Oman. And then they said, you guys screen them. Great. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann knows this all too well. He's conducting a coordinated task force, Pineapple, a group of retired Green Berets, Navy SEALs, and diplomats and reporters helping evacuate people from Afghanistan. Colonel, I thought about you during that entire pause. What were you thinking? Yeah, Brian, I don't know. You know, it's just it's it's so difficult for me to to listen to just the political kind of jargon around this thing, man. I mean, we have commandos and Afghan special forces that are literally being hunted in the streets, right? These are men and women that we fought with, that we bled with. And, you know, our veterans right now, Brian, have been on a 100-plus day 911 call with no relief. They're the ones that have vetted these people. They're the ones that have emptied their 401Ks. Like, it has been such a shift of, of, of responsibility from institutional to, like, these veterans who are already traumatized. I just – it's really hard for me to hear this and celebrate some kind of 100,000-person number when this moral injury is still just underway. And I want to work with the government, but, man, they are making it hard. And you tried, and you know that if you really say exactly what you mean, you'll alienate the State Department, Defense Department, and you'll become an enemy, and that hurts your cause. I get it. But for the most part, not only has the State Department not helped, they've hurt you. Because you're trying to land planes in third countries, and they won't even pick up the phone to call the ambassador to say, let uh, go ahead, we're okay with this. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you know me well enough that, that I'm, a, I'm a soldier, I'm a straight shooter, my interest, I don't even want to be doing this. I retired nine years ago, um, and a lot of our, our shepherds feel this way, but we feel morally compelled to step in in this vacuum where there's not leadership. And, and you're right. I mean, we do need the State Department and the Department of Defense and this administration because they hold the cards. This is a problem of scale. It's too big for volunteers like us to do this. But I will tell you this. I'm not going to sit here and, and just you know placate these administrations or these these uh, departments when just just to get a ride on an airplane like there's a lot of stuff that's going on that has not been addressed and it needs to be addressed like this this there's still way too much uh unaccountability i guess of of what has really happened and it's time for some accountability well i know some i was spending my a weekend with uh with a colonel who's part of the investigation on on the entire operation, what led to it, what was in the middle of yeah. the execution, who was on the other yeah. side in the third country. And what they're finding is they were throwing anybody and everybody on those planes. Now they're worried about yeah. who's on your plane. Did you really screen right. them? At the same right. time, they were throwing any because these planes were leaving empty in the middle of the Kabul airport evacuation scheme. And they said right. President Biden personally said, put everybody on there. 
Right. And the thing is that, that we're trying to say as liaison networks, and I know that there are coalitions out there, and we've worked with those coalitions, and we intend to continue to do that. But, but what we're trying to say is we worked with the very warriors who enabled um, this evacuation to happen, the Afghan commandos, the Afghan special forces. And then get this, Brian, they were actually retasked and repurposed and still are to help so many of these at-risk civilians get on airplanes. But guess what? They haven't been evacuated. Their families haven't been pulled out. I mean, this is – it is wholesale betrayal, man. Like, you cannot – you cannot abandon partner forces like this in this day and age of asymmetric warfare and think that somehow you get a mulligan, right, for the next war that comes up. And there will be one probably back in Afghanistan where we need a partner force. I mean, the world watches this. So it, not only is it a moral injury, it's a national security debacle because we have literally – abandoned wholesale a partner force that fought to the very end even when their president left the country and their generals left they kept fighting man and to leave them like this hunted like like rabbits it's um it's really causing moral injuries on our veterans and our volunteers i'm going to bring something else up don't you think it has direct relations with uh, what germany's excuse germany what china's doing right now russia's doing right now what iran's doing right now well, the thing is, everybody was so anxious in the administration to get out of Afghanistan and get into the near-peer competition. But here's the thing. The Chinese and Russian and Iranian embassies are still open in Kabul, right? They are still working closely, I guarantee it, with the Taliban and other forces in that country. And so this is a near-peer problem. We have highly trained commandos, highly trained Afghan special forces that if co-opted, by these near-peer threats, they have information on us, our tactics, techniques, and procedures. And what if they get repurposed? What does that look like? Great question. Uh, so in the big picture right now, uh, we understand that, and I know this isn't your priority, but it's worth noting. We left this country, and they are now starving. There is no right. infrastructure. The Taliban are brutal. Uh, they don't care right. about the kids. They don't care about the, the right. population. They care about the next terror attack. So these people are starving to death, which adds to the irresponsibility of how we left. Right. So we have a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions, and it is actually our focus, Brian, because when all of this chaos happened, these veteran volunteer groups, whether it was the Valley Boys, Task Force, Dunkirk, Team America, Pineapple, all of these groups basically stepped in and filled the humanitarian role. Well, after the bomb went off, we found ourselves responsible for safe houses, food, clothing, water. And here's the thing, man, we're running out of money. All of these people have cashed in their 401ks, their savings accounts. They're running out of money to keep the most vulnerable people in Afghanistan in clothes, food, water, and shelter. And about midwinter, that money's going to run out. Then what? Some of the most vulnerable people in Afghanistan are going to be on the street because this problem of scale is not being handled by the U.S. government. It's not being handled by state. USA is being handled by veteran volunteers trying to use GoFundMe. To, we have 1,400 people on our manifest alone that we're putting in safe houses. What's going to happen when that money runs out? Uh, great question. Did you have a chance to interact and ask that very question to anyone at state or defense? No. Um, you know, I, you saw the letter that I put forward to President Biden. I, I signed a letter that the Afghan EVAC coalition put forward. I mean, I would welcome the opportunity 
to share what I think is a pretty unabashed perspective with Secretary Blinken, with President Biden. I mean, as a, as a career soldier, I'm happy to do that and to lay it out that I think would be representative uh, in a non-political way. That's the other thing, Brian. This thing's becoming so politicized, and it's such a, it is such a disgrace to our warriors, our Gold Star families, and our military families who are just trying to do the right thing by our partners and in, in this humanitarian crisis. And the politicians, instead of looking at our veterans and seeing how they're leading through this, they're, they're showing up so politicized. Even some of the coalitions that are out there are becoming politicized, and it really bothers me. I mean, I would love to go on other stations and talk about this, but they don't, they don't, they're not talking about it. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, you always have a, I mean, they're nuts because they were covering the beginning, the debacle, which is they yep, don't run the right. footage anymore, and now they want to turn right. the page. But uh, they we're going to turn the page. Yeah, and that that to me is is anti-American. And I'll tell you, you'd it be is. on the air too if Donald Trump was president because uh, this was a. And, 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 go ahead. And he owns a lot of this. He owns a lot of this, Brian. Like the Trump administration did not do a good job of setting this negotiated, uh, you know, re- withdrawal up. They did not. And, and I've served under multiple administrations. My kid is an infantry platoon leader. Like, I call him like I see him. And, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around. No problem. I was totally against uh, what the president was saying. we got to pull out by Election Day. I thought that was insane. They, they, yep. you had, instead, you should educate the American people while having a force, a presence there benefits us. And you would have suddenly watched the numbers of approval for this operation go up. You had to explain 100%. to them, show them a map, say, if we leave Bagram Air Base, let me give you an idea of what's around there. China will take it. Iran will love it. Pakistan will thrive. Just by having a presence there, the intelligence we're able to pick up might be able to keep your city safe, your building free from uh, suicide bombers. And you explain yeah. that to people. We get it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think I'm being dramatic when I say I'm already working on my congressional testimony for the next 9-11 uh, to talk about how the clarion call for uh, jihad went out after Afghanistan fell again, similar to when the Soviets fell and al-Qaeda grew to global prominence. You're going to see this with ISIS-K. This is going to be a clarion call to strike in the homeland. And what do we think the U.S. response is going to be? We're going to go back into Afghanistan again, except this time we're going to have a partner fit force that we abandoned with our gear that is potentially co-opted and laying in wait. Incredible. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, uh, thanks, Scott. So what do you want people to know? Uh, how could they support your mission? I just think at the holidays, Brian, man, I mean, we, 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 we need to come together. Uh, at the holidays, uh, I think our manifest right now, OperationRecovery.org, is doing a great job of helping keep Afghans alive in safe houses and food and water. And they're going to run out of money by, you know, middle of the winter. So if you wanted to donate to the humanitarian crisis that goes right to Afghans in duress, uh, uh, OperationRecovery.org is a, is a great one. OperationRecovery.org. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're doing great work. All right, Scott. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Brian. Take care. All right. 1-866-408-7669. I didn't even know his son. His son's an infantry commander. It's it's amazing. The same families keep giving, giving, giving. Um, So listen, I don't want to give short thrift to any of the callers. So be on call next. 1-866-408-7669. I'll go up the phones when we come back. Uh, We can't forget about Afghanistan. I know you guys don't, uh, but the rest of the country... Or other networks do, but you don't. So uh, stick with us and help them out. Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade.
Jason in the house, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The whole story is that progress takes patience. I love the tension between Frederick Douglass and President Lincoln and how Douglas should have been, rightfully so, angry at the lack of progress, pushing Lincoln to move as quickly as possible. And at the same time, you, you have to admire and respect Lincoln's patience. His primary objective was to keep the nation together. And for a long time, he thought that's the way you averted a war. And frankly, it took the Civil War in order for us to unite the nation. But progress and patience are linked together uh, unmistakably in politics, but really in life. Yeah, that was uh, Tim Scott helped me out on a special at the President Freedom Fighter that aired on our channel is now on Fox Nation, which you're watching us on right now. And he just talked about the patience that Lincoln had the show and the impatience that Frederick Douglass, uh, obviously, and I don't blame him, born a slave, saw the potential in America, thought we were going too slow. Uh, it looks like Lincoln was right the whole time. Both men evolved. I think that's part of the story I think you guys would like. And you seem to be liking as the book continues to be ranked on the New York Times list. And I appreciate everybody that came out on WOKV uh, over the weekend on Friday. And then on Saturday in Clearwater, the Tampa area. Tomorrow, uh, for those people in Jacksonville especially or in the vicinity, I'm going to be at Amelia Island at the Five, uh, five Ocean Club Drive. Fernando, uh, Fer- Fernanda Beach. Uh, at the Atlantic Room in the Ocean Clubhouse. So I will hope to see everybody there. I'm going to be in and out in one day. And on Thursday in Fort Worth, on Friday uh, in uh, Dallas and Tyler. So then I'm going to be going over to Tulsa as well as Oklahoma City. So just go to BrianKillMe.com and just make your reservation. I'd love to talk, talk about the book and then sign yours, take pictures. And I appreciate all the support from everybody. Joe, listen on WABC. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, just very briefly, I uh, just wanted to remind the audience that <clears throat> basically the Democrat Congress actually uh, <clears throat> snuck in uh, what amounts to a blanket amnesty for up to upwards of 10 million illegal aliens in the country with the Build Back Better bill. Okay, And basically what it does, it actually uh, – uh, you know, basically, it, it sets aside deportations for, I believe, up to 10 years. Um, so basically, you know, people who are in the country illegally, they have a free pass. And as we all know, with catch and release, you know, basically when they come across the uh, Rio Grande or uh, any uh, entry point across the border, you know, they're just simply they're given a court date and they're released into the United States. The vast majority of them, you never see them again. All right. So, again, the policy that was put in, uh, in place by the Trump administration basically remain in Mexico and process people who are genuine asylees and not economic refugees, which is the vast majority of them. That, right. that policy should have, ne- should have never been rescinded. Furthermore, I want to remind well, the audience, the overwhelming majority of the uh, immigrants coming to the United States, both illegal and legal happen to be Hispanic. That's a fact. Now, according to Pew, Pew Research Centers, in 2013, they estimated that some 75% of Hispanic households in the United States with children use some form of welfare, whether immigrant or not. Now, that being said... All right, got it. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. So there is no doubt about it. The Build Back 
better plan, better not pass. The reconciliation package, you passed through the House, but they just threw everything in it. They know it's got to be ripped up and done again in the Senate. The good news is it's not close to passing. Manchin and Cinema are just two of the people that have a problem with this. They're not going to raise the corporate rate according to Cinema. They're not going to raise the upper rate according to Cinema. They're not going to put back child leave, and they're not going to extend the child tax credit according to Manchin. Here's Rachel Scott on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. This is her reporting on ABC Cut 29. That's what Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer wants. He wants to vote on that before Christmas. Well, Senator Kirsten Cinema is not committing to that, and she's not the only one. Neither is Senator Joe Manchin. Uh, he has essentially said, let's kind of hit pause on a little bit of this. He's concerned about inflation. He's concerned about debt. We know that he doesn't want paid family leave, including in this measure in particular, which is included in the House's version of this bill. And so I talked to one Democratic senator who essentially just said, buckle up when it comes to the timeline over this. But I can, I can, I can see more pressure getting on Democrats in the coming days. On December 15th, we know that Americans are expected to receive that last payment of the child tax credit. That's set to expire. And so we could see more pressure to try and get this done by the end of the year. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get done, though. The White House tweet yesterday under the Build Back Better plan, a family of four earning $80,000 per year would uh, would save nearly $3,000 per year on health insurance premiums. Go ahead. Throw out crazy numbers that are unverifiable through a program that somebody able to track because of the gimmicks that are involved. President Biden's rescue plan they put out again another tweet, put money in America's pockets and help middle class families stay afloat during the pandemic. There is a bipartisan bill. They punish Republicans for going along with them. Not Republicans, but Democrats have by coming up with this reconciliation bill. You wonder why everything's political. They can't get out of each other's way. That's exactly why. Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. You can catch us on Fox Nation and BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can get the stream. Tom Cotton at the bottom of the hour. He surprised me and showed up at uh, Tyson's Corner in Virginia yesterday where I was uh, signing my book, The President of Freedom Fighter. He came with his family, did some shopping, paid full freight for the book, by the way. I'm not allowed to give it to him or else I guess it's some scandal. Uh, would, uh, would, rock, would just rock it around the building at Fox News. A little different from the scandals going on over at CNN. Uh, so, and Mark Teeson is going to be joining us shortly from the Washington Post and Fox News. Uh, of course, you know him, too, because he wrote for George W. Bush, wrote a lot of his speeches. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, this is a moment where uh, journalistic ethics are at play. Uh, and I know there were many CNN staffers very unhappy with the situation, very frustrated by Chris Cuomo. At the same time, Jim, I was hearing from some fans of Chris, uh, some viewers who said we understood he was looking out for his family. Wow. Two lefties in free fall. Not even a compliant press can help. They seem to have been in the most secure jobs in America, but their actions have actually primed them for a downfall. Cuomo, formerly of CNN, and VP Harris now, that's Chris Cuomo, the scrutiny they brought upon themselves and how their actions hurt their party and how Harris could be following Cuomo right out the door. Number two. How concerned are you that Russia this time is not bluffing, that in fact they will invade Ukraine? Well, we remain focused on this, uh, Brett. 
they've invaded before. As we look at the numbers of forces that are in the border region, it really uh, raises our concern. Yeah, that was Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. China and Russia, rivals slash enemy nations acting in concert to disrupt world order. What, if anything, should President Biden be doing about it? One word, toughness. The problem is his actions are equal weakness, and the entire Western world might have to pay the price. Number one. The end of the pandemic is a political decision, not an epidemiological decision. That's a basic fact. The end of the pandemic comes when we decide that the pandemic is done. Stop the panic. Stop counting cases. We have technologies to protect you if you are, uh, if you actually do get sick. Yes, whatever happened to that? Dr. Bechichara weighs in last night. Omicron. It's been a week and we still barely know anything about this variant. Despite the panic, there's not much they're saying in terms of symptoms that should be concerning. When are we going to decide to live with and not run from COVID-19 and eradicate the mandate mania? And I'm going to bring it right to Bechichara. See, he said last night exactly what I'm thinking, but he's the expert. We have to say, okay, this is happening. How we're dealing with it? Shutting down restrictions, more tests is not how to deal with it. What it's do is going to find any type of remnant, anything, uh, any type speck of virus in you, even though you're living with it, and they're going to just shelve you, and then they contact trace and continues to hurt the country. I think that's pretty obvious so far because COVID-19 is not going away. I think we're starting, what, our third year with it? Can we get over it? Those people hiding in a corner, you do that. That is your right. But it's not something I want to deal with on a regular basis. We have to get over it. Cut eight. The end of the pandemic is a political decision, not an epidemiological decision. That's a basic fact. Uh, the, the end of the pandemic comes when we decide that the pandemic is done. Uh, and, the way, and the way to think about this, Steve, is that uh, the, we have many of the tools we need to address the, 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 the danger of the virus. Uh, if you haven't been gotten vaccinated, especially you're older, get vaccinated. That protects you against severe disease. Uh, the, we, we, if you, uh, if we have uh, now good treatments like monoclonal antibodies. So if you get sick, go yes. get early treatment. Um, yes. Stop the panic. Stop counting cases. We have no technology to stop yes. the cases from coming. What we have technology is to protect you if you are, uh, if you actually do get sick. That is a logical medical professional talking about living with a virus. And I'm not saying we're the only ones overreacting. Look what's happening in Austria, New Zealand, Australia. Germany's starting to lock down again. They opened up, but they actually count natural immunity. We got vaccines, but the president has polarized the vaccine distribution. And after he said our President Trump should be uh, should not have the job anymore because over 200,000 deaths. He surpassed President Trump, and he had a vaccine, and he had a million shots in arms already. Admiral Brett Girard, same thing last night, same theme, also an expert, cut seven. If we set our sights on going to zero COVID, we will never uh, satisfy that. I really don't believe we will. COVID will be endemic, meaning there will be strains that circulate. They will change, but we want to make that a minimal risk disease by vaccines, uh, by pre-existing immunity, by the oral drugs, we could dissociate the cases from hospitalization. So we're, I don't think we're going to go to zero. Don't be disappointed in that. If we can reduce this to a common cold where no one dies or very few people gets hospitalized, that's going to be a success. 
uh, we need to get along with our economy. We can't ruin our children. We can't throw people into depression and cause them to be more addicted and die of overdoses. We have to get on with our lives and live with this with all the tools we have right now. And that's an admiral sitting on the side knowing that he was uh, trying to shepherd us through during the Trump years. If you look at the free estates in this country right now, Cato Institute puts out this freedom uh, ranking every year. Uh, guess who are the free estates, mandates included? New Hampshire, Florida, Nevada, Tennessee, and South Dakota. All red, except for Nevada, which could go that way. Uh, the least free states, New York, shocker, Hawaii, no kidding, also being overrun still. California, stunner. New Jersey, cracking down again in Oregon. Uh, we know how bad they have been. Let's bring in Mark Thiessen, former presidential speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. So, Mark, here's a variant that we know does not give severe symptoms, but yet will take two weeks to evaluate it. Among the people who said our problem is we don't collect the right data, Zeke Emanuel. Let me ask you, is Dr. Zeke Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel's brother, a right-wing zealot? Uh, apparently, <laughs> it looks that way. I mean, now yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on my top 10 best and worst things the president did list. And so I'm trying to come up with good things the president did. I have to do that every year. One of the good things he did is he said no lockdowns. Um, so, you know, and Fauci had floated the idea of lockdowns. So at least even he recognizes that Americans are sick and tired of lockdowns and we weren't going to have a lockdown on, uh, on, on Omicron. But look, the, the left as, a, as an institution, as a, as a movement, they want to control people's lives. And so COVID has unleashed the inner Stalin in every left winger in America because they, they it, it gave them a pretext by which to run our lives. They got people like de Blasio in New York now saying not not just, you know, that, that literally if you if you're five years old or older and you don't have and you're not vaccinated, you cannot participate in any element of public life outside of outside of your home in the city of New York, which is insane. These, this is what the left does. They want to control our lives. And COVID is a pretext. Admiral Gerard is absolutely right. This is good. We are the vaccines have turned this from and the treatments have turned this from a mortal threat to our to our country to something that could be let no more dangerous than the common cold. And we have to start treating it in the context of that, that these the, the every time a new variant comes up, we can't set our hair on fire. Every we 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 have to stop looking at cases and start looking at hospitalization. Stop looking at cases and start looking at deaths. And when you look at it through that prism, this, so far this Omicron, Omicron, Omicron variant is not that worrisome. Yeah, in fact, in case, in case people are just listening right now, you know we're covered. We have uh, two local New York stations, WABC and WRCN, and Mayor de Blasio just said this on another network, Cut 5. As of today, we're going to announce a first-in-the-nation measure. Our health commissioner will announce a vaccine mandate for private sector employers across the board. All private sector employers in New York City will be covered by this vaccine mandate as is of this. Um, is that unbelievable? Private businesses. It, it, and now they, they're going to start doing with the, they're thinking about doing with a booster. Yeah, it's fascist. And look, here, here's the reality. We are now have, a, have a, a labor shortage in America. We don't have a job shortage. We have a labor shortage. There are, there are, 10, more than 10 million jobs available for people to take, and businesses can't find workers to fill them. How can you impose a vaccine mandate on businesses and force them to fire workers who are willing to work right now, many of whom, by the way, about 60% of the country has, ha- has gotten COVID? So many of them might not even, and, and most of those cases are asymptomatic. So many of them actually have uh, natural immunity from previous infection and might not even know it. And you're going to take workers who are willing to work who are actually showing up 
and fire them and throw them out of work in the midst of a labor shortage and leave businesses who can't find workers to replace them. And this is your plan to bring back the city? Are you crazy? Yes, they are putting crazy. Putting aside the freedom questions. Putting aside the freedom questions. Your, your job as mayor is to bring back New York from the, from the pandemic. It's not how you do it. I want you to hear uh, there was a defense forum over at the Reagan Library, and Secretary of Defense Austin was there. And he was asked about regrets when it comes to the Afghanistan operation. I want you to hear uh, uh, the Secretary of Defense Austin was asked about Afghanistan. And I want you to hear what he doesn't say and how long he said to, it takes to talk again. Do you have any regrets about the Afghan withdrawal? Brett, I regret the fact that uh, we lost 13 of our finest at Abbey Gate. I regret that we lost 10 civilians in an errant strike. Having said that, Brett, I want to make sure that we don't, we don't lose sight of the fact that our American forces in 17 days evacuated 124,000 people. You see, I was so, I can't tell you how angry that answer gets me. What about you? Yeah. Same. I mean, it's just a, it's just how about I regret leaving the security of our troops in the hands of the Taliban when the Taliban agreed to stay outside of Kabul if we secure the capital. I regret leaving hundreds of Americans and tens of thousands of our Afghan allies behind. You know, I just interviewed uh, the head of Operation Exodus for my podcast. Uh, it has, it's going to come out next week. And one of the things he told me what Operation Exodus is doing is they are focused on bringing back. Afghan special operators. People, so these were the most highly trained Afghan forces. They never stood down when the Afghan army collapsed and the Afghan government collapsed. They kept going. They helped our special operations and CIA folks evacuate American citizens from Afghanistan, and then we left them behind. The, these, are, these are people who are so highly vetted that they were not just vetted by the State Department. They were vetted by the intelligence community, by the U.S. military. Some of these people were brought to the United States for Army Ranger training. They're as well-trained as any Army Ranger, and we are leaving them behind in Afghanistan. And the only people helping them are the former Army Rangers, the former special ops guys who are with private money paying for safe houses to hide them and paying for food and for clothing for them while they try to find ways to exfiltrate them. And the Pentagon and General Austin is doing nothing to help. Nothing. And that's inexcusable. Zero. People say, well, Brian, you have to understand this civilian leadership. That's who it's made up just because he's a general. No, no. Oh, at what point do you say and do what Petraeus did? He would go up and give options to President Obama. Let it be clear that your second option was really the only viable option. And then you let it be known. Listen, I cannot go along with this. I, you know, I, the guy's been doing this job for 40 years. He had a great job as a contractor consultant. Just say, listen, I got to leave because you've already sullied my reputation forever. My first question would be, Austin, how do you feel about presiding over a defense department that executed the biggest disaster in American military history and then make him scramble? And eventually he would say, this was not the advice I gave the president. That's what he should be saying. Because he, it is not the advice he gave the president. The president ignored it. They stayed in their jobs, and now they want to ignore this. I would like to bring this up, too. I was able to spend a substantial amount of time this weekend with somebody who's in charge of the investigation to find out what went wrong with the Afghanistan from A to Z. You know one of the things he told me for certain? 
At one point, President Biden was hearing about all the empty planes leaving the Kabul airport. He said, put on anyone and everyone. They were getting haircutters, shopkeepers, people walking around, just throwing them on planes, sticking me into third countries. And you're telling me about these special operators that can't get to the airport. Oh, wait a second. Maybe if we allowed our guys to leave the airport like Britain and Australia, we would have been able to round them up, right? Yeah, it's 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 just shocking. It's just shocking. I mean, I just, every time I think that I can't get angrier about Afghanistan or that something I can't learn some anything that would make me more disappointed in my country, more disappointed in this administration, more angry, I learn something new. Um, the fact that we left, I mean, the fact that these special operators were to the moment the very last plane was took off, were rescuing Americans. So it wasn't like they before this whole decision was made years ago. They they risked their lives and and for Americans. It it was that as we were evacuating and abandoning them in the process of being abandoned, they helped rescue Americans and then we left them behind. Thousands of them, thousands. How what how can we look our, in the mirror as a country? I just don't understand it. Well, I'll tell you, Mark, the other thing is mass starvation is going to take place this winter. There's no food. There are no, there are no way to deliver the food. They're We're not having any money. Taliban. And now <laughs> these, the these, these kids are going to starve to death. Yep. No, it's, it's, it's horrible. And, again, private, private organizations, these are, these, are guys, these are special operators who went out and did this on their own um, and are doing this on their own. They're 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 not working for the U.S. government. They're not contractors. I mean, they're they're desperately raising money for these operations. Why isn't this? Why isn't our intelligence community paying for this? Why isn't the Pentagon paying for it? Much less not helping them. They should they should be giving them the money to fund the to fund the safe houses and everything. How are we not at in the lead on this instead of instead of hiding behind retirees who already did their duty and retired? They've served. They've done their jobs. Why is it not current active duty forces who are doing this? Why is it not our intelligence community? It's just it's just the greatest dereliction of duty I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yep, uh, it's not even hard. This is just right and wrong. It's not the subtlety and positions and philosophy. It's right and wrong, and this is wrong. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. All right, take care, Brian. Bottom of the hour, Senator Tom Cotton. We'll talk about that and also move on to the, uh, the Build Back Better plan or the so-called reconciliation package. Uh, how do you stop it? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Right from the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A report just dropped because it had been alleged that he was helping his brother with his, you know, his communications team. New York Times is reporting that that's true. You can confirm the New York Times report. I'll, I'll confirm it for your viewers. I also have a source that says Chris was on the phone with his brother this week. Is your source Chris him. Cuomo? He is not. He is not. You got to have boundaries. You got to draw a line. Why? He doesn't. Uh, I think he does, actually. Really? I think Chris does. I don't know about the governor. Well, that's not true. Letitia James, the attorney general, the Democrat, released the transcripts of this investigation. And it turns out he was in, he was very aggressive. He was calling other reporters. He was kind of leading the charge and looking for getting opposition research on one of the accusers, maybe even more. Who knows what's else in these pages? But then when it came out, another sexual harassment claim against him, CNN, with an outside law firm, decides to let him go. 
Uh, the CNN uh, spokesperson says this, based on the report we've received regarding China, uh, Chris's uh, conduct in his brother's defense, we have cause to terminate. When the new allegations came to, uh, came to us this week, we took them seriously and we saw no reason to delay immediate action. The problem is Cuomo is not going away quietly. He has denied he lied to the network and to Chief Zucker. He says he knew all the details of his support through his spokesperson, told the Wall Street Journal this. He has the highest uh, admiration for Zucker. They were widely known to be extremely close. And Cuomo said this. He had people who would corroborate his assertion that Zucker knew all along what his star anchor was doing. And the furious statement sets the stage for a showdown. Because if he calls out Zucker, what does he know? Did Zucker get special testing treatment? Did he know about this, what was going on with the former governor now? Did he green light it along the way? Does he have other harassment claims coming at him? Just curious questions to see what Chris Cuomo knows, because in that statement, he's letting him know he's still got bullets in his gun, and it looks like he's going to use it. And it couldn't happen to a nicer network. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fauci did the exact same thing with AIDS. He he overhyped it. He created all kinds of fear, saying it could affect the entire population when it couldn't. And he's doing he's using the exact same play playbook for COVID. Uh, that was Ron Johnson on our show, and just saying that Anthony Fauci again with this variant. Stopping travel from eight African African countries to the U.S. and then telling everyone that Moderna is now working on a vaccine for a variant uh, that will be ready in the spring. But so far, when you get it, it's minor symptoms. You're trying to get people to take a double vax. Okay, that's tough. Now you want people to get a booster. I'm just getting used to that. Now you want me to go get a variant-specific vaccine, knowing that you're saying the same thing to us, that you're going to need another shot after that? That, to me, makes absolutely no sense. But nothing really about our coverage makes sense. Here's Dr. Scott Gottlieb yesterday on the variant-specific vaccines. He is feeling like I am. Cut six. This is going to be a really critical decision because what we've seen in the past, for example, when we engineered a vaccine to specifically target 1351, the old South African variant, was that vaccine worked well or appeared to work well against 1351, but didn't appear to provide as good coverage against all the other variants. And there's reason to believe that as you develop vaccines that are very specific to some of these new variants, they may not work as well against the full complement of different variants that we've seen. Mm -hmm. So you want to try to stick with the ancestral strain, the Wuhan strain, in, in the vaccine, I think as long as possible. What happens is as the virus mutates, it probably starts to hide some of the viral targets on its surface. And so you get a vaccine that doesn't provide as broad immunity to the full complement of targets on its surface. So you get a more narrow vaccine. And then uh, Martha Raddatz from ABC went and took a tour of Moderna at their lab. And they said, no, yeah, we can, uh, we can do it. We could come up with something. We could find out the code to this variant and go stop it. Well, it, for what? A runny nose and a, and a low fever? Doesn't make any sense to me. So this whole thing about mandates, about vaccines, about masking, about school, it just divides the country further. Rick Klein, he's a political director at ABC, cut nine. 
They're here to stay. And I think one takeaway out of this, even though the Democrats won this battle and they were able to keep the government open, is that they know that Republicans are going to continue to fight those vaccine mandates. They are united on that topic. In fact, they're going to get another vote in the coming days. That one is likely to pass because Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is likely to say he doesn't want to see the mandates imposed on the private sector. And the way that the politics around vaccines and around mandates have calcified and really set in, that is setting the tone for everything that President Biden hopes to do around the vaccine, around government government funding, around the Build Back Better initiative. This is the background noise. This is a serious political division that the president, I think, is starting to adjust around, but he, he really can't overcome that degree of skepticism and that fight that Republicans are going to put up just on that basic question about whether there should be a mandate. And right now, they, they don't want to budge on this. Joe Manchin doesn't want to budge on this. And people want to be able to use their own decision. Now, I know we don't have the market cornered on restrictions. I know a lot of countries have it worse. It doesn't mean we should understand it better. Uh, we, I, I do think that we should hold ourselves to a different standard. The one thing that I'm pretty encouraged at is that Joe Manchin's making a stand with a lot of Republicans because he's speaking for West Virginia, not his party. And I appreciate that. So there's going to be some pushback uh, on this. And I know one thing. I was just in Florida over the weekend. I was at uh, Ponte Vedra with a big event on Friday that you hopefully watched on Fox Nation. You're watching us now on Fox Nation on Saturday in Clearwater, Florida. And I do live events, and I always end it with question and answers. And everyone is just so grateful for a governor that only won by one percentage point in a battleground state. One percentage point. He's They're grateful for the opportunity to be free. Vaccinate the vulnerable first. Work your way down after. Give your parents the shot to decide if they want their kids vaccinated. Tell your teachers you know the risk. Senator Tom Cotton joins me now. He had joined me yesterday in Tyson's Corner, an unscheduled appearance with his family. As I talked about the president and freedom fighter, he jumped right in. I guess it's kind of close to your house, Senator. <laughs> Brian, it was good to see you yesterday. Alice and I and our team had worked for a long time to surprise you on that. I'm glad to hear that you were genuinely surprised. It was great to see so many uh, American patriots there to read yet another best-selling book from you about key figures of American history. And I just want to say, America, you're in good hands because he, Senator Tom Cotton's on the Intelligence Committee. And he was able to keep his appearance with me quiet. So it goes to show me that I think we're in good hands. <laughs> yeah, one of the few things uh, you can try to keep quiet in politics these days, I guess, Brian. But it was, it was great to be out there with you. Great to see so many uh, American, fine yeah. American patriots who turned out. I, I truly appreciate it. Could you tell us about the stand the Senate uh, the Republicans are taking in the Senate about mandates and how it's going to affect the debt ceiling? Yeah, so, Brian, last week we had a vote um, on the president's mandates. Every Republican voted against them. All the Democrats voted to keep them moving forward. That was in part because it was an amendment to the short-term spending bill. However, this week, Brian, I expect that we will get at least Joe Manchin to vote with us in a resolution of disapproval uh, to reject the president's uh, mandates. Now, it's to be determined whether the House will pass or not, and I suspect Joe Biden won't sign it, but it's just a reflection of how unpopular these mandates are from agencies like the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Brian, OSHA is supposed to regulate things like ladders and hard hats. They're not a public health agency. The federal government has no constitutional authority to impose these mandates on private citizens. Uh, that is a role for state governments, not the federal government. And you'll see a majority of the U.S. Senate, I believe, this week repudiate the president. So I want you to hear what's going on in New York and just thank count your blessings you're not here, although Washington, D.C. is not much better. Not only is Mayor de Blasio, not only is he out the door and extremely unpopular, and not only is he not reading 
the American public or the New Yorkers. He's doubling and tripling down. Look what he's doing. Cut five. As of today, we're going to announce a first-in-the-nation measure. Our health commissioner will announce a vaccine mandate for private sector employers across the board. All private sector employers in New York City will be covered by this vaccine mandate as of December 27th. We're going to have some other measures as well to really focus on maximizing vaccination quickly so we can get ahead of Omicron and all the other challenges we're facing right now with COVID. Senator, I know you're a lawyer. People are outraged by this. If you're a small business owner, uh, if you own a company at any level, now all of a sudden you have to mandate vaccination and without taking in natural immunity. Do you have a shot if you want to sue back? Uh, this is the silent treatment that I was afraid the center would give me. And Brian, uh, Brian, first yeah. off, first off, Brian, I cannot let this slander stand. I have been clean for 15 years since I last practiced law. So I can't <laughs> tolerate you calling me a lawyer. All right. I apologize. <laughs> but you do have the ability to practice. Um, so but but, uh, Brian, I would say this is a, a counterproductive overreach by Bill de Blasio. He, like a lot of other Democratic mayors and governors seem to be engaged in COVID theatrics to see who can have the most radical proposals. Uh, again, um, there's lots of people who have been vaccinated who have sound reasons not to be vaccinated. Either they've had the vaccine or I'm sorry, they've had the coronavirus before. So their antibodies are probably at least as strong, if not stronger. Or perhaps they are allergic to some of the ingredients in these vaccines. These kind of one size fits all mandate hammers simply do not work. They probably deter some people from getting vaccines just because of outrage over the overreach. Another thing, Brian, we've seen in recent months is more and more evidence becomes clear that the vaccines do go up do a pretty good job of stopping the worst results, which is hospitalization or even death. Unfortunately, they don't seem to do quite as good a job in contracting the virus, especially spreading the virus. It looks from the evidence I've seen that persons who are vaccinated, if infected, spread the virus at almost the same rate as persons who are unvaccinated, which means you're at no greater risk, vaccinated or unvaccinated, from someone who is vaccinated or unvaccinated. So why would we be going to such great lengths to threaten people's livelihoods for these mandates if the persons who are unvaccinated are really only posing a greater risk to their own health and the worst outcomes for themselves? Again, it's kind of COVID theatrics from people like de Blasio and the governor of Oregon and other places who are talking about things like perpetual and indefinite mask mandates or now vaccine mandates for all persons with a job whatsoever. Unbelievable. Uh, I just uh, I'm hearing 34,000 people in the medical profession lost their jobs in New York because they wouldn't get vaccinated. A lot of them are nurses and doctors. What do they know? So they know more than any politician, but yet they're told you do this or else. And they were yet begged to work countless hours when this thing first hit. And Anthony Fauci was telling everyone it's not going to be a problem here. So uh, it's unbelievable. The other thing that I'm heartened by to think that there's light at the end of the tunnel they did a lot of after-action reports about what happened in Virginia, New Jersey in these off-year elections. A lot of the voting was because of the oppressive clampdowns, lockdowns, and restrictions, along with the mandates. If you want to get a politician's attention, tell them your policies are remarkably unpopular and an election's coming up. Is that what you're hearing? Uh, I'm very much hearing that perspective, Brian. Um, not so much um, at home in Arkansas, uh, where... 
um, our governor and our legislator and for the most part, our county and city governments have, have taken prudent steps, but not these kind of sweeping steps that vastly overreach. But where we were yesterday, Brian, uh, in Fairfax County, I was struck by the number of people who came up to me um, while they were waiting in line to get your book signed that said they were from Fairfax County or especially from Loudoun County, where the schools had been closed last year probably as long as they were closed anywhere, and where some schools are still facing such teacher and staff shortages that they are at risk of further closures. Um, the media has often portrayed what happened in Northern Virginia as primarily about schools teaching critical race theory, and there was a lot of that. But Brian, I can tell you, there were a lot of people yesterday saying simply that the schools were closed for too long and it set back students too far and imposed too much hardship on parents. So to the extent that Democratic politicians continue to impose these onerous lockdowns and closures and capacity restrictions and vaccine mandates, then I do expect the American people to deliver another stern message to them next November, as they did just last month. Yeah, Republicans are, uh, excuse me, Democrats are earning their distrust and distaste. This is something I thought about you about immediately. We know there was a defense forum over in California at the Reagan Library, Brett Baer asked this question of Lloyd Austin about Afghanistan, cut 24. Do you have any regrets about the Afghan withdrawal? Brett, I regret the fact that uh, we lost 13 of our finest at Abbey Gate. I regret that we lost 10 civilians in an errant strike. Having said that, Brett, I want to make sure that we don't, we don't lose sight of the fact that our American forces in 17 days evacuated 124,000 people. Senator, if you were asking a follow-up question, what would you say? Um, do you agree with Winston Churchill, speaking of Dunkirk, wars are not won by glorious evacuations? Uh, the simple matter is Joe Biden called that evacuation an extraordinary success. Um, now, our military is the finest in the world. It can accomplish almost any mission put in front of it. But that was not an extraordinary success in August. It was defeat with dishonor. It humiliated America and it has emboldened our rivals, be they the Taliban or al-Qaeda or ISIS or Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. There can be no question about that. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And I think that there's many people who fear that this Ukrainian invasion is going to take place in January. The president's going to have a virtual meeting tomorrow. We know the secretary of state was there. What are you able to tell us about what's about to happen and the ripple effect if we let it? Um, so, Brian, I, I can tell you that I believe Vladimir Putin is likely to invade in the next 30 to 90 days if the United States and our European allies don't take firm measures against it. That doesn't require us to deploy uh, American or even NATO troops into Ukraine, but it requires us to draw, draw firm red lines and to impose the kind of strong punishment on Putin should he invade that it will deter him from doing so, like sanctioning every oil and gas company in Russia, sanctioning all their banks, cutting them off from the international banking system, of course, shutting down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that Germany and Joe Biden have currently let him construct to link Russia and Western Europe. We need to be clear and explicit about those things. 
There's been too much vagueness and generality in the warning so far. Vladimir Putin sees what Barack Obama and Joe Biden did in 2014 when he invaded Crimea and then eastern Ukraine. He thinks he can get away with a light slap on the wrist. Unfortunately, those, uh, that recent history suggests he can. Joe Biden has to be crystal clear tomorrow on the, exactly the kind of crushing sanctions he will face should he invade Ukraine. And but I, I would not think that – I would not believe anyone who says that he's just maybe – wants to demonstrate that he can invade Ukraine or he's seeing what concessions he can get. This is different from past deployments, Brian. This is not part of a military exercise. The deployments are much larger. They come from as far away as Siberia. They've called up reserve troops. It costs a lot of money. It separates family at Christmas time. Specialized units are on the border that you only use to invade things like anti-landmine rolling battalions or electronic warfare units. This is Vladimir Putin clearly signaling his intention to invade Ukraine. The only thing that will deter him is strong resolve from Joe Biden and European leaders. And the worst of the world saw those satellite images. If Fox was able to obtain, you probably have seen a lot more, just judging by the detail in which you just gave. Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much. Uh, I know you've talked to me way too much, but I really appreciate you showing up yesterday. It was great to see your family. It was great to see you, and I'm glad that we found my younger son who wandered <laughs> off in the middle of <laughs> It's true. He was gone for a while, but he came back. Uh, Senator, thank you. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls and find out if there's a need to know more. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This game ball goes to the whole Oxford community. All those were affected. I want us to not forget these names, Madison Baldwin, Hannah St. Juliana, Justin Schilling, Tate Muir, Phoebe Arthur, uh, John Ashuto, Riley France, Elijah Mueller, Kylie Osiji, Aiden Watson, and Molly Darnell, who's a teacher. Those names, uh, for all those, uh, will never be forgotten, and they're in our hearts and our prayers and all the families, and not to mention all those that were affected. Dane Campbell, head coach of the uh, Detroit Lions. They got a tie. Now they got a win. He dedicated that win to those at Oxford High School that lost their lives because that lunatic kid and his terrible parents. 29-27, they win a nail-biter over the Minnesota Vikings. Dan Campbell has the best press conferences because he's clearly emotional. Uh, he clearly uh, wears his heart in his sleeve, and he just killed him to see the Detroit left. The, mar- the team was without much talent. But as Terry Bradshaw says, we, Jimmy, he said, me and Jimmy Johnson watched that team play, and they play hard. And why? that's why he thinks they're going to be able to turn it around. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Alec Baldwin has deleted one of his Twitter accounts. Where it is, it's the fallout from his interview with George Stephanopoulos where people aren't buying his excuse after the shooting. Next. Prunes may be the secret weapon to prevent holiday weight gain. Researchers from the University of Liverpool discover they're eating more prunes, helped a group of dieters control their appetite. Take that, take notes. Next, do pro sports promote patriotism? Most Americans say no. They conducted a, uh, a survey. Only 30% believe that pro sports teaches respect for the military. Next, two and three say one relative always drink too much at a holiday gathering. Three in five Americans dread going to family gatherings during the holidays. That according to a new survey of 2,000 Americans. Soon we're just going to have people eating with their friends who agree with them politically. That to me is a very high number. 
I wanted to see if you needed to know more, but sadly you didn't. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Find out where I'll be with the President Freedom Fighter Tour. I will be in Amelia Island tomorrow. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.